The following is a presentation from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you. For more information, visit LifePointPeople.com. Good morning, everyone. I just found out from Nathan that uh, he was actually invited a couple weeks ago, so he is the number one speaker that's going to be there. We're glad... Well, we get to share together. We uh, had a good time uh, doing it a couple years ago, and uh, God does great things at the men's retreat. I know men are a little retreat averse, uh, but I would encourage you to uh, go against the flow and uh, realize that God does tremendous things in the hearts and lives of people that go. Men and women always ought to take advantage of those retreat weekends because they truly are life-changing events. It's a privilege for me to be here today. My wife sends her love. I know she had an opportunity to spend time with some of the ladies here, uh, men that I've met in the past. I'm glad to be spending some time with you in your home turf today. And uh, God is doing some great things. And we're going to be talking about uh, going through difficulties in life. Anybody ever have trouble here? Right? Kind of goes with the territory of living. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to discover some things from James, the author of this uh, wonderful uh, epistle. Um, James, just to kind of give you a, a mindset, James is really talking to uh, the Jewish tribes. He's writing to them. Many of them had um, grew up in the law, doing the law. Everything was about actions and about deeds, really no spiritual responsibility. And in James writing to the 12 tribes, these people have become born again. They've had a spiritual experience. They've, their life has been changed. And they've left kind of the law living and moved into grace and things by the Spirit and and. And uh, James is going, listen, it's great that you have the Spirit now. It's great that you're alive in the Spirit and the law is Old Testament stuff. He says, but you know what? Just because you have the Spirit and everything feels good, it's not just about feeling good. It's still about getting things done. And he says in chapter 1 here, we're not going to actually get to it. He says, faith without works is dead. In other words, just because you have Christ now, and listen, how many of you know, how many of you are glad that the Holy Spirit fills us when we get born again? It's amazing what God does to broken people, Amen. God meets us, God fills us, God does supernatural things inside of us. Thank God for the times of celebration and worship where we experience the grace of God and the presence of God and the peace of God, all as a gift from God to us. It's wonderful. But the purpose of the experience of God in our lives is not just so that we would bask in more experience, but that we would move into, as really James is trying to communicate, into maturity, which means a mature believer is someone that is actually doing the things that God invites them to do. How many could use a little help there? We all could. That's why we're so grateful for the Word of God. Now, this James that's writing is, there were two apostles or two uh, of the initial disciples that were named James that Jesus picked, and neither of those two are the people that wrote this uh, book. This is actually Jesus' half-brother, James. And if you know a little bit about the history of James, uh, when Jesus began to go and do all the things he was doing, the miracles that were going on, and there was a point in time in his ministry on the earth that he started making declarations that he was God. And uh, his brother had a problem with that. So his brother, which came one time to one of the events that Jesus was putting on, was outside. And, uh, you know, the people said, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. And and he said, listen, my brothers and my mother, my mother and my brothers are those that do the will of God. So during Jesus' ministry on the earth, James was really anti-Jesus. He really wasn't submissive to the work of the cross. He wasn't submissive to the work of Christ or what Jesus was doing. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead that James had his first experience of meeting Jesus, not his brother, but Jesus as Savior. 
And his life was changed, so dramatically changed, he became one of the people in the forefront declaring who Jesus Christ was. He became one of the main uh, bishops in the city of Jerusalem over the church, uh, uh, the many Jews that were there that had been converted to Christ. And actually, James is one of the first books written uh, in the New Testament. And I know you look at it, you go, well, it doesn't look like it's one of the first books. Well, these aren't in chronological order, just so you know. Uh, So we're going to pick up with James' conversation and communication to Uh, these Jewish believers that now are all over uh, that area. They've traveled all up. Persecution was happening, so the Jewish people were traveling everywhere, these Christian Jews, and uh, James was writing to them uh, about this message of spiritual maturity, moving through life as as they should as Christ's followers. So we're going to pick up in James chapter 1, verse number 1. And I want to just remind you, this is a book about faith, it's about action, it's about moving toward maturity. So James begins in verse number one, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. These 12 tribes are in relationship to the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, so he's writing to these Jewish believers as they go. But I want you to notice he begins with a James, a bondservant of God. That bondservant is a unique word. You know, here in our culture, we don't understand the idea of servant. As a matter of fact, we don't put up with servant in America. I don't know if you know that. Right? Ain't no one going to tell me what to do. Hello? Help me out. Don't look at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say ain't no one going to tell me what to do? That's American culture, right? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's kind of the, the nature that we have in our culture. So the idea of servanthood and being a servant is really averse to us in, in one stead. But during this period of time, being a servant, there were many people that were indentured servants that were, were uh, serving masters out of owing money or they were put into service for a period of time that they were required to serve under this, this uh, slave owner. And a bondservant was someone that had come to the end of their time of serving as a slave. They came basically to the place where they were receiving liberty to go and go about their own life and go about their own business. Their, their time of servanthood was up and they could become their own person. Well, a bondservant was someone that says, you know what, I know that I'm free to leave, but you know what, I'm choosing because of your generosity and your kindness and the way that you've treated me and my family. I don't want to leave. I want to stay as a servant to serve you and the needs that you have. I want to be a bond, it's what we call a bond servant, someone that chooses to live in service unto someone that was at one time considered the controller of their lives. Now with freedom, they say, I still want to serve in this capacity. It's a bond servant. So James is making the statement, I am a bond servant, someone that chooses to serve God with all that I am. You know, one of the most important things that we understand when we become Christians is that we become servants of the most high we become people that when we say servants we're talking about bond servants of the most high because because being a servant is what a disciple of jesus is called to be jesus made on multiple occasions jesus talked about this picture of servant and we just shared in communion well do you realize before judas was left from the table that the 12 disciples when they came in to receive this uh, last meal with jesus that jesus washed the feet of each one of them Peter said, don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I can't wash your feet, I can't wash none of you. And Peter said, then wash all of me. I I need all that you have. And Jesus really was modeling this picture of, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, imagine the humility that Jesus operated in when he washed the feet of the disciples. It really is a picture of what it means to be a Christ follower, to serve Jesus with all that we are. In Matthew 10, the scripture says this, Jesus 
called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Specifically this, we are called to serve God and we're called to serve each other. It's a part of what it means to be a disciple, a believer. You know, this is a, 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 I was talking with someone earlier today um, after the first service and, you know, there's a concept, you know, Christians were called believers. Do you know why they were called believers? Because they believed. They believed in God. They believed in the pattern of God. They believed in the purpose of God. They, they believed that when God said it, that was good enough, so we're going to be a part of it. And this picture of James's communication to the saints, these 12 tribes, is saying, listen, we, one of the first things that we bring before God is to serve God and to serve one another. Service is a picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. Every one of us has been called by God to serve. Paul is saying, listen, the invitation for all of us is to move to spiritual maturity. Now, how many of you have ever, how many of you realize that being old doesn't mean you're mature? <laughs> Anybody know someone that's old and not mature? Anybody sitting close to somebody that's old and not mature? Will anybody admit here that you're old and not mature? Come on, join with me, men. You know what I'm talking about. The boy in us, right? Listen, God wants us to go to maturity. He he, he provides for us the resources of growing to maturity. And some of these resources that he provides, if we don't acknowledge or understand them, we miss out on the opportunity of really learning to grow. I want you to know today that many of you are positioned for awesome, supernatural, inspired growth by God. He's positioned you right where you are to grow, but you don't see it today for what it is. Therefore, your ability to grow is being minimized. I was uh, at the hospital not too long ago and there was a little girl that was there with her family that was at the hospitals. We were vi I was visiting with the grandma. And the, the mom was there so happy because the little girl had, had big girl underpants on. How many of your parents remember when you, you got to move away from diapers to big boy, big girl pants, right? It's a big deal. Listen, when you're taking care of them and wiping them every time they go to the bathroom, you can't wait for big boy days, right? It excites you when you say, you mean you're ready? You're ready to start getting potty trained? You know, it's a sad sight. How many of you would think if it was a sad sight to see someone 20 years old that needs some help in the restroom? We want people to grow up. Can I tell you something? God wants us to grow up. He wants us to become spiritually mature. And there's processes that he puts in play for spiritual maturation. He doesn't leave anybody out of the opportunity to grow to spiritual maturity. But the truth is, someone that is moving towards spiritual maturity begins with the act of service. That means if you're a Christ follower here today... You're serving God through your heart and your life journey, but you're also serving one another through activation in the church. The church is one of the vehicles that God gives us to learn to serve and grow to maturity. Maybe you're here today and say, well, you know what? I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good enough, or I got all these troubles. Listen, God takes you just the way that you are, and the good news, he doesn't leave you that way. He begins to fix you. He begins to work on you. But it requires this mode or mindset that, you know what, I have to find and figure out my way to serve. Maybe you're not serving yet in the church. You haven't found your place in the body of Christ. I would encourage you. Man, fill out that connect card. Say, listen, I want to find my place to serve. I, it's time for me to grow up. It's time for me to be, quit being the taker. i got to become a giver somewhere and find my place to plug in. Because as Christ followers, being a servant is a mark of growing to spiritual maturity. 
I'm a bondservant, James says. But then he moves on. He says, verse number two, my brethren, count it all joy. Come on, give me a laugh. How many of you got a little laugh with you, huh? He said, count it all joy. He's probably about to tell us a joke, right? No, he's not going to tell us a joke. He's about to give us what I want to call is one of the best revelations of how God starts to mature us in life. Don't shout me down yet. Don't shout me down. This is going to get really good. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. No one's going to shout me down yet? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Are you telling me you're not excited to go into trials? How, how many of you have trouble? How many of you right now could say in yourself, you know what, I wish I didn't have the trouble I have. H have you seen my trouble? I, I got financial trouble. I, I, maybe you got f physical trouble. Maybe you got emotional trouble. Maybe you got relational trouble. Maybe you got spousal trouble. Maybe you got kid trouble. And all you're praying is, God, get rid of my trouble. I want you to know that this trouble's in your life, or these problems are in your life for a reason. Most of us in our life journey, when trouble shows up, the first thing that moves us to our knees, it's the first time we prayed all week, God help me, get me out of my problem. Like, we, we get really earnest in our prayers when we, fought, when we find trouble, isn't that true? You tell me, when's the, when's the best prayer you ever prayed? When you were in trouble. Right? It's the guy that's finding himself pulled over by the police. Oh, God, please! I'm begging you! Let this cop be a Christian! <laughs> he prays over you as he hands you a ticket. Lord, let me pray for you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> this call to prayer is really a wonderful thing. Trouble really does something special to our heart. It, 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 it propels us to try to connect with God. It's really a gift from God. Your troubles, many times we wish they were just gone, but the truth is our troubles have this unique ability to put us in a position and say, I, I'm in trouble, I need some help. Now, the kind of help that God wants to bring us is a special kind of help, but he says, my brethren, count it all joy or be happy when you fall into various trials. Now, that sounds like kind of crazy. How is it possible that he's inviting us to be happy when we have trouble? Well, it's important to understand that when the scriptures invite us to do something in spite of something, it means that we have the power to actually do it. When he says, count it all joy when you have trouble, it just simply means that you have the ability, scripturally and biblically, to have joy when you have trouble. Now, some of you are right now in the greatest trouble of your life, and you have no joy. And you think the only way you're going to get your joy back is if your trouble is gone you know the miracle prayers you know what i'm talking about you know all i need god is one simple miracle and we want the miracle we think that the happiness of our lives and the joy of our lives will be produced when the miracle happens and and james is saying listen you can have joy in spite of your trouble because your trouble is not your trouble the way you view your trouble is your trouble can i say that again your trouble is not your trouble, but the way you view your trouble is your trouble. God wants to revitalize our heart and our minds right where we are in this very hour of our lives today in the, maybe the greatest turmoil that you've ever experienced in your life. Maybe you're here today and said, my life has never been worse than it is today. I'm glad that you're here today. 
Because I want you to know, in spite of your greatest trouble and your greatest difficulty, that you can find the grace of God that you ever imagined possible. And you know what the scripture says, listen, God does, does more than you can imagine. When we think about it, we get saved not because of our goodness, but because of the grace of God. And I want you to know the joy and the peace that God wants to give to you in the midst of your turmoil and trouble comes from the same portal that we get salvation, from the grace of God. You don't earn it, you receive it, and you get to walk in it. God wants to give you the ability to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So let's ask this question, where do trials come from? Well, the first is obviously Satan brings trials to our lives. There's spiritual influences that are going on and spiritual, there's an atmosphere. Satan's out against God and anyone that stands and represents God, Satan's out to try to bring turmoil into our lives. Just a couple of chapters down the road in James, he says, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may He's trying to bring trouble to your lives. The good news is, as we find out in Ephesians 6, that we've been given power and authority over all the power of the enemy and that we can use the name of Christ and stand on the strength of the name of Jesus Christ and, and, and resist the devil. And the Bible says he must flee. We have power and authority over the devil. So the actual influence of the, sat the satanic influence in our lives can be thwarted by someone that simply trusts in faith that God gives us power through Christ. We can eliminate the atmosphere of Satan in our lives. And listen, there's spiritual things that are happening all around you. What, what is that Pokemon thing that's going on? I was with Pastor. Now, I'm not going to say which Pastor. But he has a big beard. I know I was trying to, I tried to do the look today. You know what I'm saying? This is seven weeks of growing right here, okay? Can anybody relate to me? Please, brothers, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know I'm not cool, but this is it, babe, right? And he, he pulls his phone up, and you know, because some, some youth came into my uh, office the other day, and they were talk, talking about this Pokemon. They said, there's some of these things right in your office right now. I said, what? What are you talking about? They pull their phone up. Look, there's one right there. Boo, boo. Well, Pastor Nathan helped me see that he has the power to catch those little things, too. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about Pokemon is it does show you that, you know, there are things happening all around that you have no idea. Like, I had no idea there was two Pokemon in my office. <laughs> Y'all come over. If you need to get a couple, you can come over. So Satan causes trouble, wants to cause trouble in our lives. But we have, through the grace of Jesus Christ, power and authority over the enemy. And we, we can thwart many of the attacks that Satan brings by simply not being deceived, by being aware that he's trying to mess us over. That's trouble comes that way. The second way trouble comes is, and I'll say this, Satan creates persecution. When you're living for Christ, Satan creates persecution and trouble because of Christ. That's a part of the satanic persecution. But the second way that we have trouble is through bad decisions. Our own bad decisions. We call them sins, right? How many of you ever noticed some of the greatest trouble you've ever had in your life was not because of somebody else, but because of you? You cause trouble. We're troublemakers. And listen, we're, we're all troublemakers. We cause trouble. You know, we say people cause trouble and we are people. So guess what? We cause trouble. Many of the deal, things that we deal with in life, the troubles that we create are created by ourselves. And uh, I want you to know that how of you, when you get into trouble and maybe you hurt somebody, you offend somebody, that you hope that they would extend grace to you, right? When you do something wrong, don't you like when you know that you were like the idiot, you did it, you said it, it happened, you were the one. We in our hearts go, man, I just hope that they can extend grace to me because I was the one that made the mistake. I said that or I did that or I didn't do that. I just wish they would. How many of you would hope that people would extend you grace? 
right? Wouldn't every one of us go, please, I'm just begging you, please extend me grace. And your heart is saying, please, we can get this worked out if you just give me a little bit of grace. Well, how many of you know the same grace that you want extended to you ought to be the grace that you live in day in and day out? Some of you are so ticked at somebody, and all they need is a little bit of grace from you to get things turned around. Just a little grace from you. The same thing that you would hope someone would give you, I'm praying that you pray, so God, give me the power and the grace to extend it to somebody else so you can begin to fix some of this turmoil that's going on. So we cause trouble. Trials come because of the trouble we start now. Listen, sometimes, and this is the third way, sometimes trouble comes because of the sin of somebody else. Somebody else has done something that has offended or hurt or damaged or caused turmoil or destruction in our lives. Some of you had an event take place when you were just a young person. Something happened to you and you look at the course of your life and say, listen, I've had this trial for 20 years now because of what took place when I was a teenager or when I was a kid. This has taken place and I can't get rid of this trouble. I want you to know that God has the ability to bring grace and freedom in spite of what somebody else has done. You say, I can't count that joy. Listen, God can turn it around where you can find the story that God is telling in the midst of the suffering that you found yourself through. And if you begin to not focus on the event, but begin to focus on what God is working in you and through you, that your problem wasn't your problem, the circumstance wasn't your problem, but what God wants to do through those circumstances is going to be the revelation of your freedom. Because your problem's not your problem. The way you view your problem is your problem. And God's saying, listen, It's time for you to learn how to count it all joy when you fall into temptation, when you have trials, when you have difficulties. The fourth way that we find ourselves in trials is just life. You know, we live in a broken, sin-filled world that has chaos as the the result of it. The world just happens. Sometimes a car flies off a tire. Sometimes an accident happens. You know, there's one kid over, one farm over here praying for rain on the same day that you're praying for, praying for a beautiful day for a party, right? Someone is going to get their prayer answered and someone's going to be upset. Life just happens. But I want you to know, no matter what life happens, no matter what difficulties or what challenges that have come your way that have created your trial, whether it was Satan, whether it was you, whether it was somebody else, whether it was just life, that God wants to give you the ability to count it all joy to have joy in the middle of it I love the Apostle Paul one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament when he's writing in the book of Philippians he says listen I, I've learned how to live this life and you know Paul had some tremendous awesome things that took place miracles were taking place many people had come to Christ but he saw many difficulties beaten stripped shipwrecked sick He just went through all all the litany of the things that could go on that were rough in somebody's life. Paul had experienced them. And and yet in Philippians, while he's in jail, he's writing to the Philippians saying, let me just tell you about joy, the joy of God, how awesome it is to have the joy of God. And and then he says this, listen, I've learned that in whatever state I'm in to be content, whether I abase and do well or whether I'm in a difficult time and things aren't going well, I've learned to become content in all things. And then he goes on to say this famous statement, because I can do all things things through Christ who strengthens me you have the power to face your most difficult challenge and trial today because of Jesus Christ you're limitless in what God can do in spite of your trouble in spite of the challenges in spite of the feeling that you have God wants to get you to the place where you can count it all joy because here's what I want you to understand about what you're going through 
there is purpose in the trial. Your story right now is not a wasted. God didn't, God didn't turn his head from you for two seconds and go, oh, man, I'm sorry I wasn't looking. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen to you, man. You're in trouble this week. I'm doing stuff over in China this week. I don't even got time for you in America. Listen, God's not overwhelmed by what's going on in your life, and God is not surprised. As a matter of fact, what's going on in your life is a part of a grand story of God's grace being extended into your life. He wants to extend through your life. You know, most people pray, God, get me out of it, when God wants us to pray, God, get me through it. I was talking to Chad earlier about his circumstances past year, how the grace of God was on his life through the loss of a child. I mean, I look at him, he's telling me the story, and I see sparkle in his eyes, I see teeth. And I go, man. And he said, I can't even explain it to people. I said, you can't. You can't explain joy. You can't explain joy in the midst of tragedy. You can't explain joy in the midst of difficulty. You can't explain joy in the midst of a trial to someone that doesn't understand the grace that God provides for us. But you can't separate yourself when you possess it. You go, God, this is unbelievable. In my trial, in my trouble, in my difficulty, you've provided the resource of being able to count it as joy. Not the, I'm not joyful for the tragedy. I'm not joyful for the difficulty. I'm not joyful. I'm joyful that you're telling a story that is worthy to be spread around the world. And with Paul is writing these statements in, in Philippians, he's in jail. He knows he's about to be killed just a few, uh, a year down the road. He's about to be executed for the name of Christ. He's writing this thing. Listen, I found out that I'm okay in Christ and whatever story God is telling through me, I just want it to be one that lifts up the glory of God and that people will see Jesus in me. As a matter of fact, he says to the Philippians, I'm so proud of you. You're my crown because you're living like I lived. I know it might seem difficult in what you're going through. Some of your heart, I'm talking about trouble and you came in with trouble this morning. You woke up this morning and trouble was sitting on your head. And you prayed and you said, God, help me just get rid of this thing. And Lord, take care of this situation. I want to invite you into a revelation that God is saying, listen, your trouble was given to you or allowed to come into your life on purpose because I want to grow you up. I want to get you to the place to where when trouble comes, it doesn't have the fruitfulness of messing your life over and, and making you discounted for the day or discounted for the week or discounted for the month. I want you to learn that no matter what comes your way, that if you're in me, you can get through anything and have the power to count it all joy. Not for the trouble, but for the power of Christ that's in you in spite of the trouble. For some of you, the miracle won't be. You, you think the miracle's getting out of your trouble and the miracle's gonna be Jesus and his joy coming in you. That'll be the miracle. And someone will notice immediately, why are you not like you were yesterday? You can say, God's doing something great in my life. I don't understand it all yet. I don't got it all figured out. But I know as Romans 8 says this, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. What is that purpose? Verse 3 says this. Knowing that the testing of your faith, count all joy when you fall to difficult troubles, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I've always heard, how many of you ever heard it say, don't pray for patience? Why? Because God will give you trouble. Now, I just want you to know, it's not 
it's not, it, it's not if trouble comes your way. You might be going, Bill, my life has never been better. Good. Just know, prophetically, I'll speak this morning. <laughs> Trouble's on its way. Well, I'm a Christian. Listen, God did not promise Christians wouldn't have trouble. As a matter of fact, he said, listen, I'll be with you when you have, he's, he's, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. But don't worry, I'm with you. I'll be with you in your trouble. It's not about your trouble. It's about the way you look at your trouble. When you look at your trouble and your problem is everything, all you see is your, your problem, of course you're going to be consumed by the detriment of it and the sadness of it and the sorrow of it, and whether it's physical or financial or relational. He says, if that's the focus, of course you're going to be overwhelmed, but I'll give you the power to see beyond the trouble and the glory that I'm bringing into your life. And the world will notice and see the work that's happening in you. Tests. He says, the testing of your faith. What is faith? Faith is a confident expectation that God's at work. Hebrews 11. I, I, faith says, I believe God's going to come through. Your faith will be tested. When trials will come and say, do you really believe that God's going to come through? Your trouble is a reminder to you whether you trust God or not. God's not sidelined or abstract to what you're going through. God knows exactly what you're going through. And he's saying, listen, we're going to get through this thing. And when you get done, man, when you get done, man, when you get done with this, you are going to be, have grown so much and the name of Christ will be lifted up in so many ways. There's going to be such an awesome experience of my grace through you in this story. Please let the testing of your faith produce in you patience. Have you ever met a patient person? I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty impatient like you get around they're like oh, it's like come on let's go you get around these people they're like it's okay don't relax i don't want to relax man <laughs> come on let's let's get in the front of the line it's okay there's something about a patient person that, that is endearing you're like man they they don't it's no trouble to them i want you to know that when we begin to allow our faith to be tested there's something that begins to happen inside of us that allows us to embrace the circumstance and say you know what it's going to be okay god's not going to let me down he's telling the story he, he he's using my life to tell a story and he's maturing me and he's growing me and the, the good news is is that other people can see the work that god is doing in my life patience is the perfect picture of what faith produces a confident trust that everything is going to be okay. But listen, faith like that does not come to the unfaithful. Let me say it again. Faith like that does not come to the unfaithful. You can't be unfaithful to your discipline in Christ. You can't be unfaithful. Listen, you made it to church today. For some of you, that's like a win, right? You're here. You're like, woo. And, and the good news of being here, something's happening in you. You, you. There's something spiritually happening in you. You're being ignited, inspired, encouraged. Your faith is being moved in a good direction. But listen, spiritual disciplines are the things that inspire our faith to stay strong. And when we impl um, implore them and uh, going to church and getting involved in small groups, getting connected to those that are around us, reading our word, making our, our time, a quiet time with the Lord, an important thing, even fasting. Some of us are going, what's fasting? That's another story. But spiritual things that position us to have our faith stay strong so that when difficulties come and that test comes to say, do you really trust God? That we can say, yeah, I really do trust God. Yeah, this is tough, but you know what? 
I know that God is faithful, and he's telling the story through my life. And, you know, some people, I've told people, said they go to the hospital, and while they're in the hospital, they're witnessing to the nurse, and they're witnessing so-and-so. And And one guy told me a story. They they were sitting next to someone that a week later had died. I said, listen, do you believe God used your story of sadness and difficulty to put you in a bed next to someone that had one week left to live? And their testimony was, God used this difficulty in my life to position me to be a testimony and a witness for him. The power of just possessing that thought and possessing that the difficulty was for a grander purpose. Just tremendous things within our heart. But then he says this in verse number four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. He says, basically, let this trust in God, this, this position to say, you know what? I want it over, but I'm okay. God is doing something in me while I'm going through it. It's okay. It's okay. This is p- producing me. I want my experience to have its full effect. How many of you, when you go to the gas station, put three quarters in? What do we do? We want to fill it up, don't we? Listen, whatever you're going through, don't try to cut it off and run from the gas station ahead of time. Let God finish the work that he started in you through this process. Let it have its full effect so that you may become complete, or the scripture would say mature, not lacking anything. And this statement of not lacking anything doesn't mean material things. It means the fullness of God within our soul, fully developed in all the attributes of our Christian character, of God's design and development. He says, listen, let patience have its perfect work. Verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, or if any of you don't get all of this, how many of you say, Billy, I don't quite get it all. He said, that's okay. If, if any of you don't get all of this, just ask God to help you. Some of you, the prayer that you need to pray today is, God, I don't understand why I'm in the midst of this trouble. Or maybe you're not ready to go through trouble to say, Lord, I don't understand. I understand what Billy said. I understand what he was communicating, but Lord, I need your help. And I'm asking you to let my eyes see that you're doing something special in my life in spite of my trouble and my difficulties. And whether it's trouble that, that, that I, Satan created or I created or someone else created or, or just life created, Lord, help me manage those things and grow in maturity to, to fight against Satan, to fight against the weaknesses of my own, my, life, my own life or to forgive and give grace to others that are in my life or just to say, this is just life and it's okay, God. Tell a story through me that the world can see the glory of Christ. Let's ask God for wisdom who gives to all liberally or generously without reproach. He doesn't hold back. And the scripture says it will be given to him. So let me remind you. It says count it all joy. Choose joy. Today, let that be your prayer. Lord, I want to choose have joy in my circumstance. I want to be like Paul to say whether it's going good today or whether it's not going good today, I want to rejoice. You know, my mother, when I was a teenager, she was one of those fanatic Christians, kind of crazy Christians. You ever met one of those? This is my mother. You're kind of like, Ma, please, do you have to be crazy? She'd wake us up in the morning and she'd say, kids, get up. Time to get up. Come on, let's say it. This is the day the Lord has made and we will Come on, please say it. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever. My mom would do that every day. My father divorced her because of her Christianity. She had some choices in that that she didn't operate. Maybe she should. We went to, from living okay to being impoverished. And every day my mother would wake us up and say, wake up, kids. Guess what today is? Today is the day the Lord has made and we will. We're going to choose joy today. 
yeah, that's the story. Yeah, rent's going to be tough this month. Food's going to be hard to come by. But you know what? not going to be hard to come by? The joy of the Lord. Because you know what today is? Today is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to count it all joy today in spite of our trouble. We're going to begin to discover what God is doing in the midst of our trouble, our difficulty. We're going to find God in the midst of the story. Then he says, know this, count it and know. Have a confidence. Know this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. Don't count it joy. Trust in God. Know that God's at work. Let patience, let the process go. It's, you can't do anything about it. If you short suit it, you'll short suit what God is doing in you. And then ask God to be a part of the story. Pray with expectancy. Not just get me out, Lord, but get me through. Thank God for every miracle that gets out of, us out of trouble. Thank God for the times that God does something supernatural and we can celebrate. But listen, God does more through the circumstances than he does just getting us out with a miracle. I don't know where you are today in your challenge or your difficulty, but I know this one thing, that God is here for you. He will never, ever leave you. The story that's being written, some of you feel like God's been gone for two months. Something happened, you know, a relationship got broken, someone defiled something, some, a circumstance happened, you feel like God's been far. I want you to know that God is not far. As a matter of fact, he's with you and he's reminding you today that the story that's going on is it's not about the problem, it's about your ability to put your trust back in God, that he's doing something special and unique and valuable in what you're going through. And the challenge will be for you today is, can I commit this back to the Lord and begin to say, you know, this is the day the Lord has made and I will, I'll count it all joy today because God is telling a story. It's going to move me to patience, but I know that I'm asking God to be a part of the story so that the world can see the grandeur of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the opportunity to Lord, talk about this reality of life, the difficulties we face. Lord, I know that there are some here today that it's the throes of life have been so hard on them. Their heart is broken today. I pray for them. I pray, Lord, for a sign, this re revelation for their heart to see today that their story is not written. It's not completed, that you're doing something in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their pain. I pray that, Lord, you today would remind them and reveal to them that there is a story being written that's an eternal story that's bigger than their present circumstance. And I pray that, Lord, as this eternal perspective comes upon each person, that, Lord, you would allow them to begin to turn this page and realize that they can count it joy. They can receive joy from you and peace from you in the midst of their turmoil and begin to see light at the end of the tunnel, not that it never existed. It always was there. You were always there at the end. You were always there at the through side. But I pray for each person today that they begin to see the light of who you are in their story. Would you offer that trouble to the Lord this morning? Would you offer that trial? Would you offer that difficulty? Say, Lord, help me count it all joy. Help me find you in the midst of this trouble. Help, help me see what you're doing in me. You're wanting to grow me up and mature me, and you're wanting me to be a light to the world. I pray for each person, Lord, as they respond to your spirit today and giving this to you. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you got invited by a friend. This is your first time in church in a long time. I'm glad you're here. All this talk of God and his grace and going through trouble, 
All the truth begins with what Christ has done for us. He loves you so much and he cares about what you're going through. Maybe you feel far from God, maybe you felt lost. I want you to know that he brought you here today so you'd be, feel found. He's been calling your name, he's been reaching out to you, and today is the day where you get to experience his grace internally in your soul. All it requires from you is to respond, to say, God, I want to give you my life. You're here this morning, you say, that's me, I know that I need to give my life to Christ. I've been running, I've been away from Christ, or I've turned my back for a while, but today's the day I come back. It's, I got to quit blaming my trouble, why God's my problem. He's not, he's been reaching out to me, and today I need to reach back. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want to pray a prayer of surrender to Jesus Christ. It's really a prayer of dedication, of inviting God into the core of your being and committing your heart to follow him with all that you are. It's a decision that will radically influence your life in the positive. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of dedication. It's a prayer of following. Pray this with all your heart. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me to pay the penalty of death that was due me. And in return, he gave his life to me. I receive new life now in Jesus Christ. I turn away from my own life, doing my own thing, and I surrender to you. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I ask you to help me. I ask you to fill me with your spirit, begin to lead me in the path that will bring life to me and to others. Take my hurt, take my shame, take my pain, fill me with joy and peace. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.